Hi everyone, welcome to the Birth Trauma Stories podcast, where we're holding space and finding the light after perinatal trauma. This is your host, Kathy Garrett, birth trauma survivor turned podcast host. In today's episode, we are joined by Haley Schaefer, an antepartum depression survivor and Nikki Mama. We discuss an often, quote unquote, not talked about condition, antepartum depression. We also discuss how Haley had COVID while pregnant and her traumatic delivery. Tune in to hear part one of her story. Well, Haley, I have to say I'm super excited for this morning. We've been waiting several months to for our schedules to align. And um, yeah, I'm really thankful that it finally worked out for today. Uh, but thank you for being here and being willing to share your story. I think it's going to help a lot of people. Thank you for having me. Oh, yes, of course. Let's start with a little introduction about you and your sweet little family. Yeah, so I was born and raised in San Diego, California. I met my husband when I was 20, and I met him online. He was in the Marine Corps at the time, stationed in California. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we got married after about a year of dating and moved to San Antonio, Texas, and that's where we're at now. So we've been here since 2016, and we've been married for nine years this month in November, and we have a three-year-old daughter named Della, and I am currently 21 weeks pregnant with baby girl number two. Wow, so exciting. Yeah. Um, I actually used to live in San Diego, or outside of San Diego when I was in middle school. We, do you know where... Rancho Bernardo is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I lived there for middle school. So That's awesome. I, it's stunningly beautiful out there. Yeah, it is. I say that it's a great place to visit, but to live, it's difficult. <laughs> yeah, we were only there for like, I think it was six months. It was not long. Um, but yeah, yeah, so I can't really speak to that, but at least those six months, it was awesome. Yeah. Okay, so let's dive into your perinatal trauma. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay, so I found out that I was pregnant January 16th of 2020. Right as COVID was starting to become a thing and we had just heard about it. What is this? There were like Mm -hmm. maybe 10 cases in the U.S. And March came. That was during the lockdown. And I'm actually a hairstylist and I own my own salon. So I was, you know, closed during that time. And then the beginning of April, I got really, really sick. And... I literally watched a rash break out from my feet all the way up to my head as I was going to ER. I was 16 weeks at the time. Took about four days to get the results back. Turned out that it was COVID. So I was one of the original COVID people. (laughs) At the time when I got it, my husband did the math and he's like, you're 0.07% of Texas that has COVID and I had been in my house for three weeks so I don't even know to this day how I got it but I was very very sick for about two weeks 
I thankfully only had to go to the hospital twice for IVs and stuff because I couldn't keep anything down, but I was very sick. Mm-hmm. So I recovered. Everything was was fine after that. It was a scary time because I couldn't feel my daughter at the time and doctors wouldn't see you. So I spent those two weeks in my room hoping that she was okay and relying on my faith. And then 19 weeks and six days came after I was fully recovered from COVID and I had taken my uh, dog to the vet to get his allergy shot. And I was outside because you couldn't go in at the time. Outside talking to the vet tech and doing our intake. And all of a sudden I looked down and my dog had gotten out of his collar and was running down the highway. And so I went running after him, just instinct. And I fell on my stomach, on my face, Mm. in the parking lot. My phone went flying out of my pocket like five cars down. I got to my dog, but I was really hurt from that fall, and so needless to say, that appointment didn't happen, and I ended up in the ER and checked her out, and everything was fine. It just took a long time for me to recover from that fall. So I recovered from that, and then at 30 weeks and three days, I woke up at 4 a.m. in labor. (laughs) And yeah, I actually had been having a lot of acid reflux. So that was my first night sleeping in the recliner. My husband got me all comfortable. I'm like, okay, this is going to be my first like good night of sleep. Woke up in labor that night before we were watching TV and I was thinking, I don't feel right, but I wasn't having contractions. It just felt uncomfortable and I couldn't even like focus on the Mm -hmm. show. I woke my husband up and I said, don't freak out, but I'm in labor. (laughs) I had already been timing my contractions, knew that, you know, if you change positions and they continue, it's actually labor. So I called my OB and he sent me to the hospital. Little did I know that he thought that he had delivered all of his July babies And so he was on vacation. I called my doula. She was on her way to the beach. So I didn't have my doctor or my doula at her birth. They were both out of town. So we got there. They did the normal checks and everything. I was two centimeters and 90% effaced. And my husband, my sweet husband, who didn't know anything about labor, he's like, that's good. And I'm like, no, it's not good. Not at 30 weeks. Yeah. So they started me on magnesium and steroids and tried to buy what time we could. They said every 12 hours was going to be like a big win. Um, And they did an ultrasound and then they sent me down to the specialist and he said, you're going to have her within the next couple days. And it was just so out of left field. That was a Friday, and I had been at my 30-week appointment that Monday. And everything was fine. So they got me back up to the room. They gave me some pain medication to just kind of see if the magnesium was going to slow down the labor and how much time we could buy. And labor just kept progressing, (laughs) and she wanted to come. 
So the NICU team came in and kind of told us what to expect, and my water broke as I was given the epidural. And my husband, actually, as I was asking him questions this morning about it, he told me that, and I didn't know this until today, he said that when they did my check and I was 10 centimeters is when they saw blood. And so they knew right away that something wasn't right. So in addition to a preterm labor. At 5.45, I started pushing and she was born at 6.56. My playlist also stopped working and it's like nothing that I could have or envisioned for birth. Nothing happened. And the doctor that I had, the on-call doctor, was great, but she had a really, really thick accent and a mask because it was during COVID and a mm-hmm. face shield, so I couldn't understand anything that she was saying. I had her at 6.56, and she was laid on my chest, and they literally counted down from 30 and took her away. And then, Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That was my experience was just I had 30 seconds with my daughter and then she was gone and after the NICU team started working on her and my husband I told him go with her that's when the doctor looked down and saw all this blood and said we have a partial placental eruption and so literally she is a miracle she had no complications she was just tiny and We had an abruption, and we didn't know until the very end. And she was in the NICU for 37 days. She came home at, I believe, 36, 37 weeks. Yeah, 37 weeks. So she got out of there even before she was full term. And she's amazing. Wow. That's a lot to digest. You know, I... As guests like send me their emails and the answers to the questions, I always read it. So I've heard, I've read this story before, but like actually hearing you verbalize it, you know, and I can see your beautiful face and like, you know, I can see on your face, like the things that you've worked through over the last several years between having COVID and then a, a fall while you're pregnant and then a preterm labor and a placental abruption. It just, it, uh, how do I say this? It just makes it that much more real to like, you know, we're states away from each other, but like, yeah, it just makes it that much more real. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Even as I was asking my husband this morning, because how I remember things, they're not all in the correct order. And so I was uh asking him to go over it again with me this morning and there's certain things that really triggered me even today three years and I'm sitting there bawling and he's like what's wrong like it's just so crazy to relive and that was my first experience you know with Mm -hmm. birth and I it's harder now to process being a mom and falling in love with her over the the last three years, you know, it was easier to deal with in the moment, but it's still hard. It's still yeah, hard. It, 
It definitely is. And trauma knows no timeline. I'm I'm one year ahead of you. And just a couple weeks ago, um, I did a blood drive at the hospital where my AFE happened. And unfortunately, the week prior, the same team who took care of me had another AFE. And yeah, a couple days later, I was feeling just incredibly sad. I know that that mom was, or I know that that AFE was kind of more on the severe side of things because she was on ECMO, which is a heart-lung machine that basically works for your body so your heart and lungs can rest. And it just, yeah, like I said, I was just woke up feeling immensely sad the next day and just feeling like I'm not, I don't know this person, but I know what her recovery is going to look like. And I'm sad for her. I'm sad for her family. I'm sad for the ways in which it's changed her life. And that's what trauma does. It knows no timeline and it automatically changes your life, not only in an instant, but forever. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And two, like the recovery, you know, they say uh, what may be traumatic to you may not be traumatic to another person, but both both realities can be true. And even in that truth, like someone might go through an AFE or a placental abruption and be quote-unquote healed in a year, six months, whatever their timeline is. And for someone else, it might be, it may look completely different. And... I just want to reiterate, like, just because someone else is handling it differently than you doesn't make it wrong, good, or bad. Just different. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so for our listeners who don't know, can you explain what a placental abruption is? Yeah. So I'm not in the medical field, but after I had her and kind of had time to process, I was able to, like, get myself to Google about it. So basically it's where the placenta detaches from the uterus and it Mm -hmm. basically cuts off blood supply and nutrients and oxygen and all of that to the baby. So there's a lot of complications that can come from it, including death for both the mom and the baby, but it can even cause like cerebral palsy and Mm -hmm. other birth defects can result because of a placental abruption. So I think that it's beyond a miracle that my daughter had literally no complications. Even in the NICU, the NICU team told us over 95% of preemies will have some degree of a brain bleed, one through four, and she didn't have one at all. Wow. Wow. God is so good. Yeah. Like, I'm literally speechless, except for God is so good. Like, it just, it's incredible. Yeah. So I imagine the NICU was traumatic in and of itself. And you said your daughter was in there for over 30 days, correct? Yes. Yeah. And so in, when you reflect back on those 30 some odd days, how did you how did you get through those NICU days as you're healing yourself from delivering a baby? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So 
I don't know. <laughs> I mean, literally God and you're in survival mode. I think because there was no signs leading up to preterm labor for us and it was we did we weren't able to fight any time. So literally the morning that I went into labor, I had her that day. So there was no time to process. It was just like, okay, this is happening. And even I would be in the NICU and the nurses would be like, you haven't even like cried. Like most of our moms are like sobbing. And I'm like, we actually went every morning and every night. That was one conversation that my husband and I had. It was, okay, this is happening and we need to create a schedule because Mm -hmm. if we don't, it's going to... We're not going to get the rest that we need. We're not going to be able to process. I'm not going to be able to recover. So we came up with a schedule that worked for us. And thankfully, my husband started his work shift at like 11 o'clock. And so we were able to be there every morning for the shift change. And when they did all of her care, we were able to be a part of that. And then we would leave go to work, do our normal work day, come home, eat dinner, and then go back. And we would stay until about 10 o'clock and be there for that shift uh, change as well. So I think that creating a normal, quote unquote, normal routine and schedule during that time was helpful. But yeah, I only took a week and a half off to recover, and then I went back to work standing all day at the salon and pumping every three hours, and I did that for 37 days. And then she came home, and then I took six weeks off. I was self-employed, and so I had paid into short-term disability expecting to have Mm -hmm. a baby, But then she came early and short-term would not pay it out because they were saying that I had to be home in that first six weeks. And so I took unpaid maternity leave when we weren't expecting that either. So that was another. Bureaucracy. Yes. Makes me so angry. Yeah. I mean, you're in survival mode and you don't really get time to process and everyone was not everyone, but people have a misconception of, oh, you get to sleep because your baby's in the NICU and, you know, enjoy your sleep and your rest while you can. No, because you're still doing the same every three hours and pumping and taking the milk in and seeing your baby. And thankfully, you have to room in and go through a whole night with your baby before they'll let the baby go home. And we did that. And the whole process is that they can't lose weight to be released. And she lost Mm -hmm. nine grams. And we were like, oh no, this is another setback. And she's not going to be able to go home or we're going to have to stay another day, which that room was like torture because there were no windows, nothing. It was just like, oh no. Yeah. It was a lot of pressure. It was very stressful. But her primary nurse said, I'm going to fight for you guys to take her home because you were here multiple times every single day. We know you. We know that you can take care of her. And a doctor that had never met us before listened to her and sent her home. 
And wow. so, yeah, it was a really sweet thing that we were advocated for. So, nurses are something else. Yeah. They're just, it was actually a nurse who advocated for me to come off the ventilator. And so, like, the consent was signed for me to get a trach, and I didn't want that because I didn't want another scar. And it was, like I said, a nurse who advocated for me to get off the vent, and we tried, and I did fine. I didn't need the trach, praise the Lord. Um, So, yeah, like, nurses really, really, especially NICU nurses, like, you know, caring for these little babies and these very, very sick babies, it just really takes a really, really, really special person. Yeah. Um, Now you've done the room in, and you're getting discharged home. Talk about what that moment was like, you know, saying goodbye to the people who had taken care of your daughter for an, over a month. And I'm getting emotional. <laughs> it was very surreal. I, yeah, I didn't know mom life. I didn't know what it was like to have a newborn. Like mm-hmm. my capacity was being able to hold her maybe two hours a day maybe so yeah it is that like shock and just like panic that everyone says like they're like okay have fun good luck but to not have the monitors anymore and you know she was still having a little bit of issue with regulating her body temperature and so we had to keep beanies on her and But we had been there, so we knew what she needed. But yeah, it was very surreal. And you create these lifelong connections with the team. So, I mean, even to this day, we still talk to the nurses. And so that was very weird of like, okay, we don't have you, you know, with us all the time. But they were still in our corner we would still text them when he had questions and it was it was a relatively smooth transition to home life with the exception of she had really severe acid reflux and we didn't discover mm. that until like 2 months after we brought her home so our evenings were difficult because she couldn't lay down so yeah. for 2 maybe three months, we would take shifts and one of us would hold her on the couch. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Like, again, parents who deal with acid reflux and or colicky babies, it just that adds a whole nother layer of hard to newborn life. Yeah. Yeah, it was, but we did what we needed to do and that's what we knew and it is what it is the other element to it that I think that I kind of forget about it is that that was the year of COVID and so even after bringing Mm. her home that was end of August so getting into the holidays and you know we just didn't have our normal community that we would have had today, you know, because everyone, especially me, having a preemie, was scared about getting sick and stuff. So, I mean, our best friends didn't meet her for the first four months. 
Yeah. So, yeah. And even my husband's parents who live here didn't meet her until she came home. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like, COVID really threw a wrench in everyone's plan. And I delivered six months before COVID. And so I was, I say, quote, unquote, lucky because it was hard no matter when my AFE happened. But I know, like, some of my AFE sisters who delivered during COVID, um, yeah, like, their spouses had to advocate for them to meet the baby or had to advocate for the husband to even come to the hospital, you know, and even six months, um, it was like maybe eight months, so it must be seven, when my daughter was seven months old, I was rehospitalized for a complication from my AFE, and um, I wasn't even allowed out of the room unless I was with a physical therapist, like actively doing rehab, and I just remember like walking around my room because like just trying to keep my mind active because like no one was allowed in or out and it was Easter weekend. So I wasn't having Easter dinner with my family and we had friends, you know, drop off a home cooked meal, which was such a gift. But, you know, just our our Easter that year was so different. And I mean, to some extent, everyone's was. But then to add the layer of having medical complications on top of it, like it just, yeah. it just really, and two, like, as I mentioned earlier, we had that mom who had an AFE with the same team who helped me. I got to talk a little bit with some of the people who took care of me about, you know, the things that they experienced, like the trauma that medical staff experienced that year is unlike anything or I feel like is unlike anything anyone can comprehend unless you are actually actively living it. And, you know, like our medical teams, they bear a lot of the trauma right alongside us. And I've, I think to some degree it's a sacred space because you're allowing those people into your most vulnerable moments of your life. But it's, I hate that. I don't know if you feel this way. So disagree with me if you don't. I feel like I hate the trauma that I've inflicted on those around me. Mm. Like, I feel like it's one thing for me to bear it and live through it, et cetera. But having, you know, uh, secondary trauma around the people mm -hmm. that I care about, including the medical team who took care of yeah. me. Uh, I, I just, it just, it's an icky feeling. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I would say that for me, it, secondary trauma doesn't really extend very far for us because we were in the COVID bubble and it was kind mm -hmm. of just me and my husband. And, you know, thankfully we have my in-laws and they were able to help us from a distance those very trying and difficult six weeks, you know, and then would help us when, when she came home. But there's a lot that people don't see on the outside unless you're in the hospital room or, you know, even my husband who was there for all of it. And he is the best dad and so involved. And, um, but to, I mean, even as a mom, it's a different extent of trauma and I think expectations we build up expectations in our mind of what 
our birth should look like or we have a birth plan and we're all excited and it doesn't go as planned and there's that level of trauma on top of it. There's a lot that people don't understand even after the fact. Even talking about, you know, what it's going to look like with the second baby that I'm due with in March, you know, my mother-in-law was asking me a few questions the other day and I'm like, I'm scared that she's going to come early and it's a high risk pregnancy because of my history, but there's no sign of any complications yet or anything, but that's just my mind, you know, just, just fearing, Mm -hmm. you know, the second chapter, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And it's completely understandable. And, you know, when I reflect back on my deliveries, like with my first, I had failure to progress. So had an unplanned C-section. And it wasn't until I had my second that I realized like, oh, wait, that was really traumatizing as well. And obviously having a less traumatic, then go to a severely traumatic second delivery, I almost have the reverse of like, I was naive. You know, I was like you created a birth plan with my first changed the birth plan for my second, obviously struggling with the decision. Do I have a repeat C-section? Do I have a V-back? I hired a doula for my second, which I didn't do with my first. And it just, I, I too like had this image I don't want to say expectation because it wasn't. I, now being on the other side of the AFE, I really feel like God was preparing me mm-hmm. along the way. I didn't understand it at the time, but I wholeheartedly believe he was preparing me. But, you know, I had this image in my mind of, you know, I'm going to have this beautiful V-back. I'm going to get a golden hour. I'm going to breastfeed my baby. And literally what happens when in a matter of 30 seconds that drastically changes. Like, you you know, you're going from zero to a hundred in the matter of seconds. And just even how severe my AFE was, you know, needing to be in a coma for over a week, needing multiple machines to support multiple organs. It just, that's definitely something I've personally struggled with is, you know, why did my AFE have to be so severe to the point that, you know, now it's left me disabled? I don't know. Do you feel like you struggled with that notion of frustration or maybe even anger at God that, you know, you didn't get those last 10 weeks with Della in her, in her pregnancy? Yeah, I wouldn't say for me it's so much frustration or anger but Mm. I grieve a lot or I have grieved a lot. And I think that it still hit me this morning when I was talking to my husband and I was crying again. And I'm like, I haven't cried that much considering I haven't cried that much about her story. And so to know, okay, three years down the road, there's still things to work through. So yeah, I definitely grieve. Uh, the quote-unquote normal pregnancy and delivery Mm -hmm. experience. I actually was scrolling through, I was the notes app on my phone, 
a few months ago, and I wrote down one night what what I felt was stolen from me. And that's, like, I think a good way to sum it up is, you know, I grieved the the normal pregnancy and delivery. I grieved not having my doctor and my doula and even my playlist. As silly as it sounds, literally, I put it on and I started pushing and it didn't make it through even the first song. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I didn't get that golden hour. I didn't even get a minute. (laughs) with Della and connecting with her that Mm -hmm. normal you know I mean what is normal right I mean everyone has a different normal but just what it quote I guess should be and then also the normal pregnancy experience in the midst of COVID I had my maternity pictures scheduled for the following weekend after Della came. So I didn't get maternity pictures. I didn't get a shower. I didn't get like the normal anticipation and celebration and everything leading up to her being born. And then the delivery and everything was, was not as expected. Yeah. A few days or maybe a few weeks after she was born, I had to go to the hospital for something just to drop something off. And I got in that same elevator and there was a dad that got in with me and he had all of the bags. And I just remember looking at the bags thinking, yeah, (laughs) I didn't get that. I don't, I didn't get my husband, you know, getting all the bags and getting ready and just that like, excitement you know we were excited to meet her but just this isn't how it should be so yeah I I definitely went through a grieving process and that's again my first experience so I'm thankful to have another experience but that was my introduction to motherhood yeah and what a tumultuous introduction I think it's For me personally, I think you hit the nail on the head with the pictures. I very fortunately did get maternity photos with my second, um, well, actually with both my girls, but newborn photos. I was still in the hospital when uh, newborn photos were taken. And, you know, in the moment, I, I was awake. I remember my husband saying, you know, I have newborn photos scheduled for this afternoon. And then we have a friend who's an amateur photographer, just like does it as a hobby. And she had taken newborn photos when I wasn't awake. So I was not aware of that instant. And in the, in one of the pictures is my husband, my girls and my Mm mother-in-law. And like, I really struggled to look at that picture because like, that's supposed to be me in that picture, not my mother-in-law or, you know, Fast forward to the second newborn photo session. You know, I wish that they literally would have packed her up and brought her to the hospital and just taken the pictures, even with me in my hospital gown. At least I would be in the pictures, you know. And obviously in the moment, you you know, you're just doing the best you can. Um, But looking back, I wish it could have been different. And I thought we we got family pictures taken like, 
I think my daughter was a year and a half old. And I was so excited. I was like, yes, this, these are going to be great. Like, this is going to be our first, you know, family photos as a family of four. And I was thoroughly, I mean, they're great pictures. They're super cute. I love them. But that notion of, like, I'm never going to get those newborn pictures, I thought it would heal that, and it didn't. Like, the reality is it can't substitute what was not. And even, like, I love it that people, you know, send us newborn announcements, et cetera. But, yeah, it's hard. And it it's just something you'll never have. And there's so many layers. I mean, everyone knows there's different layers to trauma, but it's kind of the unexpected ones, which I'm... I'm guessing that this morning as you were processing with your husband, you weren't fully expecting to get as emotional as you did. And it just, it's just, it's almost the unexpected. I personally call them triggers Mm -hmm. that it's sometimes it feels like you got hit by a bus. Um, It just comes out of left field and it's just really can be challenging. Yeah. Yeah, and what you're saying about newborn pictures, same thing for us, because she was in the NICU, yeah. and and then when she came home, still we were in the midst of COVID, and so we didn't get newborn pictures either, and yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have a bazillion on my phone, but nothing beats the little detail shots and everything, mm-hmm. so yeah, I yeah. definitely understand that. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry that you do. It's not a fun club to be in. Yeah. But let's talk a little bit more about your postpartum period. What was that like for you? Postpartum was complicated because I only took a week and a half off to recover and then went back to work Mm -hmm. and was doing NICU life and everything. Yeah, I mean, it was very different than what I expected. I My mind was kind of all over the place because I was working, <laughs> you know, and, and up every three hours and pumping and doing that whole thing too and making sure that she was okay and the guilt of... I'm home and she's at the hospital and I don't want to leave her, you know? Uh Uh-huh. So there's a lot of, like, emotion to process. So that was, like, the beginning of my postpartum experience. I had severe antepartum depression. Mm -hmm. Antepartum, if listeners don't know what that means when you're pregnant. So I had very severe antepartum depression and then postpartum about, I want to say a little over a year after she was born, I had severe anxiety and I went to my OB and I'm like, I'm losing weight rapidly. I can't, you know, I'm, I'm skipping meals just because I don't have an appetite I couldn't really pinpoint where it was coming from Mm -hmm. but I think that all of that is related to my experience because really postpartum should be a two-year process 
So, especially yes. when you experience trauma, like yes. I want to highlight that notion, especially because like after I had my first, I had the C-section, was discharged, obviously given pain medication, and then went back when my daughter, I think she was nine days old, and then was diagnosed with the infection. So I get home again, and I'm running out of pain meds. I go to the OB, and I'm like, hey, can I get more pain meds? And she's like, well, we're worried about the opioid crisis, et cetera. Ultimately, we, I didn't get more, but like, in some ways, I wonder if it was kind of like going, not back to scratch, but you know, like definitely a regression in my healing process. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, I think that postpartum, there's no playbook for, you know, and like you said, definitely with trauma added to it. Yeah, it was, it was just a really, honestly, it was a very lonely time. I think Mm -hmm. that that can easily be one of the feelings that women feel postpartum, but because we were still in the midst of COVID and like, I was so scared of her getting sick as a preemie. I mean, even when she came home, she was only four pounds and 10 ounces. Mm -hmm. So any kind of illness would have been horrible for her. So it came out of a place of protection, but it was also so isolating because we Mm -hmm. were not allowed to live our life like normal. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. So our best friends, like I said, didn't meet her for four months. And finally, my best friend said to Mm -hmm. me, like, you can't live like this. And that will always stay with me. Like, you just... God didn't design us to live in isolation. So, 100% agree. Yeah. So that was, I think, kind of like the turning point for me of like, okay, I need to be able to introduce her to those closest to us and, you know, find our quote unquote normal in the midst of the height of COVID. So, yeah, that was my postpartum experience. Mm -hmm. I was so thankful. I'll never forget this. After she was born that night, I went up to meet her, you know, with the exception of the 30 seconds that she was laid on me. Um, I went up to her room and I just remember thinking, God knew I couldn't handle being pregnant anymore. And I felt like the minute that she was delivered, he delivered me of the antepartum depression. It it was just like such a significant moment for me. And then even three days later, we were about to get discharged. My husband and I, or I was, but I just told my husband, I want a minute with her, just the two of us. And so I went to her room and she Mm -hmm. had, she was under the lights for, um, jaundice. And I remember just like sitting there watching her and God spoke to me in that moment in like such a tangible way. She was born to fight. And I still don't know what that means, but I hold on to it and I tell her it even to this day, like you were born to fight. And I just can't wait to see like how that unfolds. 
but that's something that was spoken over her at three days old. Wow. That wraps up part one of Haley's story. Tune in next week as we continue the conversation. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in today. We kindly ask you to head over to your favorite podcasting platform to leave us a review. It really helps with searchability and finding different podcasts. This is your host, Kathy Garrett, and you've been listening to the Birth Trauma Stories podcast, where we're holding space and finding light after perinatal trauma. Bye-bye.